Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast, the mailbag edition. Glad to have you along with us with Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad that uh, you're doing well. Hope everybody has a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, be safe wherever you are and um, uh, be cautious in everything that you do. But we'll get uh, right into the mailbag questions here. We'll start with uh, Braves Vol, and he wants to know, uh, Austin, probably not a lot of uh, recruiting news, but if you have any kind of updates on prospects that are closer to a decision like TID, uh, Page, and Munden. Let's start with Munden uh, with an unusual tweet that he had yesterday about just, you know, hold on, something's coming sometime, but maybe not as quick as he had initially thought. Where, where do you think things stand uh, with the ever-evasive smile Munden? Do you think anybody has a real feel for where they are with that one? No. I think he likes it that way, too. I, I talked to him on the phone uh, yesterday for a brief minute, and we just kind of exchanged some kind of thoughts on the kind of the secrecy of his deal. And, you know, I, you know, I told him I kind of respected it. You know, that there's so much of today's recruiting is known days and weeks in advance that I, I, I you know, as much as I'd love to know what he's going to do, I, I kind of like the idea that, you know, he holds all the cards and nobody else has got those cards, um, <laughs> including the coaches. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think Tennessee's, it's, you know, is positioned as well as they can be right there, you know, for, for what it is with all the misdirection, all the kind of, you know, the, the speculation. I think Tennessee's is positioned as well as they can be. I think, honestly, and I, I may be on the outside on this, and maybe I'm not, I don't know. I told you this, Brent, I'm more, one of you or Jesse. I think that this is Tennessee or Auburn. I think Georgia may be running three here. I don't know why. I just got this weird feeling that he's when he picks, it's either going to be Tennessee or Auburn. I don't know why I feel that way. I just feel like, you know, if it was the home state Bulldogs, it'd potentially already be done. Well, let me ask you this. You think he's definitely going to do something in July? I think there's still a good shot at it. I know what he put out last night on the, on Twitter, but, you know, haven't talked to him. I think that he still would prefer to get it done. But then again, he preferred to get it done in June, and then it got pushed back to July. So who's to say it's not going to get pushed back again? All right, let's talk you're about saying, you're saying it. Has, you're saying it has a, a good Owen Papo feel to it. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, well, however you want to read it, the point is, I, it just – I don't know. It doesn't feel like Georgia to me. I, I, I thought it was Georgia a month and a half ago because I just felt like Kirby knows how important he is. Um, but since then – having talked to some people down there in the school and just kind of, you know, some of the behavior and stuff, I, not that it's bad behavior. It's just more, more cloak and dagger and more, more guarded to the people that he's close to. Um, it, it just, it, it feels like he's really going to pull a rabbit out of the hat here. And we know he's close with T. Will at Auburn for sure. Yes. And Brian, and he, he, and Brian yeah, I think he's close with Niedermeyer and T. Will. That to me is his best two relationships in my opinion. I remember Austin when we were down there um, and, and visited with him. I, I know there were some people uh, that weren't mad, but were a little bit surprised Georgia wasn't in the school as in January as much as Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, and some other schools were. Now yeah. that may just be, the, you know, crazy crazy coincidence. The guy recruiting that area had to be somewhere else because Georgia was trying to finish on somebody or whatever. But there was it was made known that Georgia wasn't there every week in January. And they were one of the few schools that didn't come by every week in January. Well, and, and, but in reality, though, and you, you know this, Brent, you've done this for 25 years, is it not always 
the home state school that kind of gets pegged in those deals. I mean, how many oh, times yeah. have you heard a Tennessee high school right. coach say Tennessee's not been by as much as the others? Yeah, that's you know, I mean, I, that's almost uh, that almost happens inevitably with whoever the home state school is because they're they want it out there because they want you know most of those guys are fans of those schools, so they want Jeremy Pruitt to come by if you're a Tennessee high school coach, or they want Kirby Smart and those guys to come by if you're a Georgia high school coach. Yeah, they that's want point. That. They want that interaction. All right, let's get let's get to Peyton Page. Anything new there? North Carolina's got all this momentum. They get the Grimes kid. There's all this North Carolina talk. North Carolina moving up there, or do you think that this feels more like Clemson, Tennessee? North Carolina's running maybe third on this deal with a, he says, a July a July announcement or July commitment coming. I feel like that Clemson's got the momentum. Uh, I do think that the more that those North Carolina guys lay on him, though, I mean, that it, it does have an effect, but you know, his dad played at North Carolina A&T. He's been through football recruiting before, even if it's a smaller level. So I think the dad can help him with this. He's got enough people around him. He's got a veteran high school coach who, while may not be super involved in his recruitment, you know, can be a source of, you know, somebody to kind of lean on in those type of things and that just ask opinions to. Um, so I, it just feels like Clemson to me. Um you know, Tennessee's definitely still swinging there. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to count discount North Carolina or uh, Tennessee, but if I was going to pick a school, it would be Clemson at this point. And I don't think there's anything new on TID in terms of, you know, moving towards – he doesn't have a real timetable. I think he – No, wants to take those the, people that were guessing yesterday at the tweet or two days ago at the tweet, you know, um, by the, the UT staffer – it's not Tyreon Ingram Dawkins. I think what he's saying is it's about time to drop his top four or whatever he's going to drop. Right. Um, you know, he was pretty adamant with us. You know, he's he's going to take his time. He's going to take his official visits in the fall. I don't think he's in any rush because I think he knows he's a take no matter where, whenever he wants to pull the trigger. Well, and he, go ahead, what, Rob. I was just going to say, whether you're talking about Ingram Dawkins or Page or any of these kids, don't you think the fall or just whenever, you know, the, this eternal dead period ends, it's just going to be the wild, wild west. You know, the kids taking visits and, you know, changing their minds on the commitment they made, you know, oh, and, I, I, without being able to take visits in the spring. Even. I think it will be for some. I, I'll, I also think that, you know, if you don't do anything by late July, at what point does it just not behoove you just to wait? Like, what's the point in doing it in August? I mean, like, why not just wait until they open things back up? you know, providing it does open back up and, and go see some places. You know, well, I, I don't see the point in jumping in in August. You know, it's like almost like why is William Parker going to wait till September 1st or 3rd or whatever it is and, and announce, you know, for somebody. But, I mean, like, you know, if you're, I mean, it almost seems like he already knows what he's doing. He's just waiting to wait. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a lot of guys do it right before they play, the play, play their first high school game. You know how that is. Well, here's the other thing, too, Jesse, that and, and we got a couple of questions about, you know, the season and how that may or may not go this fall, spring, whatever. We'll get into that in the mailbag in just a minute. But if there is continued uncertainty in the fall and fall football becomes less and less of reality, which it certainly this week has felt like less of a reality, what does the NCAA do with recruiting and with signing day? Do they eliminate the December signing day and, and everything's dead in the fall and you can't take – And just say if you want to enroll early, you enroll early? I don't know. I mean, what 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 is going? Because that's the one thing. I mean, the focus is on getting competition on the field, but there's a byproduct to this. At some point, has to be talked about. Is what are you going to do with the recruiting cycle? The calendar is obviously not a calendar at this point. It's just been tore up. 
how do you adjust the calendar? What comes of it moving forward? I think now's not the time to answer that question, but I think that question is going to come to the forefront come mid-August heading into September 1 when this thing may remain dead. Yeah, I mean, if, if kids aren't allowed to take visits in the fall, I mean, how much sense does it make to have an early signing period? I mean, I, 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 mean, I guess you could just leave it there and, you know, if you sign, if you want to sign, like AP said, just go ahead. I mean, they can't they, – I don't think they can theoretically, theoretically prevent kids from – who are gra- on pace to graduate early from going ahead and just showing up and, and going to class where, where they want to and being on scholarship. But, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're not able to take official visits – from going back, you know, from when a bunch of guys were taking them, you know, for spring games. And we've seen that. He basically tore up nine months that would have been where you could have taken an official visit and and rendered that, you know, moot. So how can you, you know, how can you not alter the calendar? I almost wonder if you don't push back the February date with the way things are now. Well, I think, I think it's going to be leading into some of those other questions. I think they're going to try to figure out the season calendar first within the conferences or within each other. And then the NCAA is going to kind of come over as the umbrella and say, all right, this is what we're going to do recruiting. So it's, it's almost like that whole calendar has just been paused until, you know, uh, we figure out what happens in the fall, which seems to be like this roller coaster every, every week, whether, whether there's optimism or now kind of, you know, growing, pessimism with stuff like even the governor of South Carolina, you know, just put it out on Thursday that he's not sure about uh, sporting events taking place there. Tennessee obviously plays Furman in Tennessee, but then they're supposed to go to South Carolina, you know, in, in the middle of October. So it's, it's right now there's, it's, it's, it's an uneasy feeling around college football, especially when you kind of talk to some folks about it. Yeah, I can see a scenario where they play football in some form, you know, college football in some form and, and still have the dead period in place, you know, not wanting kids to travel. I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, Jesse, you're right. I mean, the, the priority is figuring out the season and then the byproduct of that is recruiting. But I don't think there's any way that the recruiting calendar is just going to get turned right back on September 1 and everything's going to roll back. No, I think there's going to have to be some kind of adjustments made to the calendar moving forward. We'll see. Orange U of all wants to know how does the what does the defensive backboard look like? How much of a priority is adding another DB or two in this class, Austin? Uh, I think it's a big priority. You know, I think that you know you look at the positions. You know, Tennessee needs to add help on everything on offense is full except for offensive line. On defense, they'd love to add add an edge pass rusher. They'd love to add quality interior defensive lineman. They'd love to add a defensive back or two, you know, whether that's, you know, Demarius McGee, whether that's Terry on Arnold, Nylon Green, obviously Tennessee threw out the offer to the kid from, from, you know, Los Angeles this week. Um, you know, they're, they're going to keep swinging at, at different, at different players. And, and again, I think Tennessee loves a guy like Christian Charles, who because of COVID has not had the chance to go and, and camp and blow up anywhere. And, uh, you know, I think that that, you know, Again, distance from home, you know, the, the Jeremy Pruitt's been working that one, you know, behind the scenes for a while. So was Derek Ansley, even though he's not been here for a visit yet. You know, I think that one's also one you got to watch. 
All right, all right, let's go to Colval, who has two questions. One, AP, tell the Under Armour All-American Game story you mentioned earlier in the week. I don't know what he's talking about. And uh, when when do you think Saban retires? Who do you think that Alabama will look at? Would Dabo be interested in that job? He, he, was, re- he was referencing when I said the UA, and, and I, I meant not Under Armour. I wondered if somebody thought that. I was meaning the – since everybody calls me Uncle Austin – the the ultimate Uncle Austin story, which I will tell, which is much like some of the stories you went back down Mary Lane, but I'll tell that later down the road once the kid graduates. All right, let's go to the Saban. Let's go to the Saban question here. Hey, how long? It's longer. Does anybody think he's going to go? And if you're Alabama, what direction are you going? I think I think him hiring those two new strength guys, where they're like not calling themselves strength and conditioning coordinators, but you know, uh, performance coaches or, and they both have you know phds and mds i think saban's signing up for like another five years uh and i do not see Dabo following saban um obviously this would not this would be a sore sore subject for tennessee fans but it would be also i think a good thing i mean i could absolutely see jeremy pruitt following um in in saban's footsteps if that would mean that tennessee would have been successful enough that alabama would want you know their son to return home my number one candidate, though, would be would be Cristobal. I think that he would be the guy that I would circle right now uh, of coaching in Alabama post saving. Here, here's the thing about you know the, the whole Pruitt Alabama thing. Do I think Jeremy's preference is to be the guy that follows Nick Saban? No, I don't. But if you if you if you got that offer, how could you turn it down? Like unless unless Tennessee was just rolling to the point, like you know, Clemson's rolling where like. He's built himself another Alabama over there. So, I mean, like, why would you leave necessarily to go back to Alabama unless you're just wanting to add to your legacy and all that? Um, but, 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 for, but for Jeremy, if he gets offered, I don't think you can necessarily turn it down because you may not get that opportunity. Right? Well, it's, a harder, it's a harder job for Dabo, though. For Jeremy, it's at yeah. least closer. You know, you, you're talking about uh, you're staying in the same conference. You're still going to be playing the, 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 the same – relative blue bloods each year uh i mean i could absolutely see jeremy doing it if we're talking about five years down the road but that would also mean that tennessee would have elevated itself on a national scale for jeremy to be considered worthy of of inheriting that baton from nick yeah and, and what you said about Dabo is the reason i don't think he i mean would i mean this is obviously i don't know speculating i mean he's he's just got a pathway to the football the, the playoff every year as opposed to having to deal with LSU, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, you know, Texas A&M is a, is a sleeping giant with, with all the resources they have. I mean, Clemson, the, the, the path for him to make it to the playoff every year is just, I mean, it's night and day for what it's like in the SEC. All right, let's go to Volunteered 87. What's the thought process behind pushing the football season back to the spring? It's pretty widely regarded that it's going to take 18-plus months before they have, have an approved vaccine with sufficient supply to distribute. It seems like either they're willing to accept some risks among the safest group in our population in the fall or not at all until there's a vaccine. I know y'all aren't health experts or decision-making on this decision-making committees, but I'm wondering what rumblings and reasoning you've heard for consideration of a spring season. I I will look at it. I'll start, and I'll look at it from a financial standpoint. Uh, I I said this, I think, in the chat, and I've said it to some other people. The the college football business model rests greatly on ticket sales and fan attendance. 
much more so than the NFL. The NFL, it's a small slice of the NFL's pie compared to their TV dollars, you know, and, and everything that goes in, in, into the NFL's revenue sharing, you know, distribution things. I'm not saying ticket sales aren't important in the NFL, but they don't make up the biggest part of the pie the way they do in college football. So, I mean, I think the question is, if, if you, do you have a better chance of putting fans in the stands in the spring than you do in the fall? And if so, that's a difference in some cases of, you know, $20 million at some schools. Now, it's not as big a deal at the Chattanoogas or the Southern Conference schools, smaller scale, but at the Power Five level, where you're trying to you're trying to manage a hundred million dollar budget, that that ticket attendance, that t- those ticket sales and attendance, and all the finances that come with that, are significant. So I think that's one question you know that that is out there is whether or not you know you can play college football games, and and what does your finances look like in the fall if you have no fans in the stands? Or you're at less than 50% capacity, no tailgating. Basically, you park, you walk to the stadium, you go to the game, and, and you head to the house. You know, all of those things are involved there that I think the financial part of it um, is, is a big factor why that, that may be – why you wouldn't just say, okay, we're not playing this season, this year. We're going to scrub it and start a year from now. you got to try to get it in for the financial reasons. You might be able to make more money in the spring than, than possibly in the fall with the way things are trending this week. What does it look like in 10 days? I don't know. But I think that's a big part of why you're starting to hear some more about the spring possibility season, and it's all about finances. I, I think if you, if you push it to the spring, I think that the NCAA would have to come in and, and change the scholarship number because I think you know, you're inevitably going to have some guys early enrollee and who's to say that some of these early enrollees couldn't help you in the spring? They would almost start kind of like Jarnell Stokes did when he should have been a senior in high school, and he got a, a year jump, uh, you know, on his college eligibility. Well, well you're, have, think, you're also going to have the Trevor Lawrences and those guys probably not play. Um, right. They, they would be sitting out. I think to piggyback Hubs's comments, the other side of the equation is what, what we've seen in the last 10 days, two weeks – um, but specifically with what's happened at LSU, Clemson, uh, Georgia, and some other spots where they've had these big spikes is these are happening just with these athletes coming back on campus. And there is obviously a real fear of how do we control this when the entire student body population comes back. And, and that seems to be the biggest fear because what one, how, what one Tennessee's had zero positive tests, according to Jeremy Pruitt, you know, what is their risk factor? What are they willing to risk in terms of playing, uh, you know, a non-conference game against Oklahoma who just had 10, you know, positive tests and who, you know, and I think that's where the real decision-making and some of the issues that seem to be popping up right now, which is why we've heard more and more about a spring season. It it just gives them more time. It gives them another, you know, six months effectively to see how we manage it. How can we make the progress? Is there some sort of, treatment um that's better now than that or would be better then than what we have now um but that's not to say we brought this up before i think there's a lot of problems with playing in the spring which is why you saw the articles and stuff came out 
I believe Wednesday or Thursday, that the SEC and Big Ten are mostly not in favor of playing in the spring because of the financial reasons, but also because they don't want their star players sitting out. Um, there's, there's real fear of injury risk factors of trying to double up a season. Trying well, when, to when, when, when you would have to start in the Big Ten, then the weather would just be nasty up there. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, but you, very, very true, very true. But I mean, but also just the idea of logistically trying to ask these kids who are not being paid to play twice in a year, uh, you know, and, and the injury risk there, I think, is a huge is a huge deal. I agree with that. The other th- the other side of that coin, though, Rob, is you don't balance a budget without football. No. If, you, if you go a calendar year without football, you don't balance your budget. You, you're, you know, we've already seen Boise State this week has eliminated a couple of sports. You're going to see that more. If there's no football, you're going to see that more and more. Even at some of the higher level schools, you're going to see those things take place. So from a business standpoint, you got to play football. But from a human, a human standpoint, some of the things Jesse and Austin bring up are certainly viable concerns too, which is why well, you, you know, here's a perfect example. example. What? You go, you go to the spring. Let's say first game in, player X tears ACL. I mean, it takes a year to get back. I mean, in a lot of ways. I mean, you, he can technically has two years of eligibility. I mean, at that point, though, don't you think the NCAA steps in and goes, okay, you really only are missing one. We're going to grant you an extra year on the back end. Again, yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah. I, again, I think – go ahead, Rob. Go ahead with your point. Sorry. I was, I was My point was to agree with AP. I mean, I think if they play football this spring, you're going to see the NCAA and not an organization I'm a huge fan of. But I, I do think that – because of you know, just all the craziness that, that's that's come along with, with COVID, I think you'd see the NCAA be really flexible when it came to things like you know granting extra years, maybe even doing something with scholarship numbers. But uh, it would just—I mean, you'd have to be flexible, like we've seen with you know them do with the spring sports this year. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, there would be some flexibility there. Again, there, there's a there's a financial there's the pocketbook. The issue here that that I think is significant. I mean, we we saw that, that, Oklahoma cut salaries today. If you don't play football this fall, furloughs and cut salaries are, are going to be rampant in in all levels of football, not just at the smaller levels, but at the Power Five levels. All those things are going to come into play as well, um, which is why it's hard to see. Could you make it if you went a year without a foot without football in your pockets? Because you're not going to get that money back the next year. Yeah, that to me, however, is the only. I mean, it's you're not humanitarian to, to to voice that opinion, but that the the dollar signs are the only reason that right now that I really have much hope that that football is this fall, yeah, in some I, form or fashion. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. All right, let's go to Uberball Five. Uh, recently, y'all talked about biggest wins for Pruitt, and Wanya Morris was brought up. I've always wondered, did he have interest in Georgia? And was the interest mutual? It just seemed like I never heard them mention with him what seems odd for a five-star tackle and a home state school. Why were the dogs never involved there? Their depth chart? He didn't have interest what, because what, of, what, of where they what, were, right? Yeah, Wanya was pretty upfront about that, that he liked Georgia, but that he wanted to play immediately, and that path to the field was not available there, and it was available at Tennessee and Auburn. So – he went on many a trips to Georgia. He spoke. He has spoken well to both AP and I about then Georgia O line coach Sam Pittman, but there was just not a lot of interest there. And Georgia already had kind of their guys as well. So 
it, it worked out well for Tennessee. You know, they, they got their left tackle of the future. All right, let's go to Cutlass Dre. What does Tyus Fields need to do to see playing time outside of special teams? What happened to John Mincy? He showed some flashes his freshman year but disappeared a year ago. Tyus Fields got to be more consistent and, uh, you know, understand the game from the mental side of things, you know, and, and, you know, just do all the things the coaches ask him to do. I mean, they like his upside. They love his aggressiveness. And then as for – Don't you think just – I mean, depth – He's got beat out. I mean, he got beat out. I mean, depth improved dramatically. Yeah. But better better competition there, and he just got he got beat out for his snaps. All right, cash fall six. What do you think will look like at the skill positions when they go Tennessee goes eleven personnel? Obviously, I would figure Palmer would be one of the receivers, and either Gray or Ty Chandler at running back. But what do the other two receiver positions and tight end look like? Does Gibbs factor in? Does Johnson grab his old slot position back? Does Jacob Warren play tight end in obvious passing situations? I think the, the biggest X factor is D'Angelo Gibbs. You don't know what you're getting. You don't know, you know, is he going to be the guy that dazzled on the play on the, on the practice field last year, uh, working scout team. I mean, he's never played wide receiver at Georgia. He played it in in high school. Um, so, you know, you know, I think he's the total X factor here. You could get something way above what you think, and then you may not get anything. Uh, in terms of receivers that because of, because of the uncertainty around, D'Lo, I, I think Keaton's probably a safer bet to play one of those receiver spots. And then Velas Jones. I mean, AP kind of touted him a week ago. He's kind of the, the guy, I think, to pencil in early on in the slot. But he's going to have competition with Holiday and Callaway and, and, and several others. I'm not – I know that they got Brandon Johnson a red shirt to come back. We'll see how much he actually factors into the rotation, uh, especially come midseason when, when some of those freshmen are more primed for, for playing time. Yeah, and obviously at the tight end position, opportunity abounds for whoever wants to take it. Maybe Princeton fans a factor there, you know, uh, outside of Austin Pope. Maybe it is Jacob Warren. Who knows? That that's up for that's up for somebody to take. Or Jim Cheney just schemes around that position uh, with, with a different receiver and does something different that way. Um, UT Sportsman 16, most underrated and overrated team in the SEC in 2020. How hot is Gus Malzahn's seat if they lose to North Carolina in week two? And who has more sacks this season, DeAndre Johnson or Roman Harrison? Anybody want to jump in and start? Let's start with the Roman Harrison. DeAndre. I'll go Roman Harrison. I'm, I'm, I was too. I was going to go Roman. I, I think Johnson may start stronger than Roman, but I think Roman is the more consistent player all year. And I think Gus's seat will be thermonuclear if he loses to – the North Carolina. I mean, they're, they're, it seems like they're always looking for an excuse to get rid of them anyway, no matter, you know, in, if they lose a game or two. So I, I think that will, that will certainly be hot. I started to say his seat's always hot. I'm going to take DeAndre Johnson over Roman Harrison, I think, for the Sacks deal. All right, Jesse, most overrated, underrated team in the SEC in 2020? Uh, overrated, I'm going to say Florida, only because I, I, I think they've become like the trendiest number four team for the playoff. And – I just think that they're, they're having to replace a lot on offense besides, you know, Kyle Pitts is back, and I know everyone thinks that Trask is, is, is suddenly a, a potential, like, top 60 quarterback or top 60 NFL draft pick. I'm not sure I see that. Um, but they lose all those pass catchers. P. Ryan, while they didn't run the ball effectively, he was a guy who caught a million – well, he caught, like, 40 balls for them a year ago. So I was clearly fairly skeptical about them as a 
playoff team in the preview I did for Vol Quest. I still think they're going to be good. I still think they're going to win 10, you know, 10, 11. They could win the SEC East. I'm just not sure they have the ceiling uh, of Georgia or Alabama in the conference. Underrated, I do think Kentucky is a team that, while Tennessee probably has its number, I think Kentucky returns a heck of a lot, and they're going to they're gonna be kind of a, a, a thorn in several teams' side throughout this fall. If All right. We yeah, and let's go to eight ways twenty-four. How do y'all? How do you feel? This is for you, or for you, Austin. How do you feel Tennessee stands with Demarius McGee? Also, how much of a factor do you think Cody Brown will play into when it's time for Darius Mims to make his decision? Uh, we'll start with the second question first. Cody will have a little bit of an impact. I don't think it's ever going to have a, a massive impact. I don't think any player is going to have a massive impact on a player like Mims. Um, but I do think that, you know, he's leaning on him. But, I mean, Alabama and Georgia are, are right there, um, you know, uh, as the top two teams, in my opinion. Tennessee would be like third, maybe Florida, right there in that second tier. Um, and then Demarius McGee, he hasn't been here. I think Tennessee's in this, the best spot they can be considering he's never been here. Um, and, you know, if he pulls the trigger, I'd give him a, a, a 50-50 shot at landing Demarius McGee. All right. Hey, in East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. Many heating and air companies in East Tennessee, there's only one name you need to know. That's Blue Water Climate Control. When you need a new system or major repair, they're not going to send out a salesperson. They're going to send out an expert to your home to tell you exactly what you need, give you all of the options available for you, including options for financing, such as same as cash, even rent to own. Call them today at 865-299-2290 or visit bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is an authorized dealer for American st Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. That's going to wrap up this Friday edition of the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. And it's a sad wrap up here. Um, for the last two plus years, uh, our man Jesse Simonton has done unbelievable work for us. Uh, for me, uh, he's brought such a different angle to different things on the site, analytics, um, breakdowns of things football-wise, covering recruiting. Uh, it's just been – it's just been – you know, his insight is, into football has been great. His opinions on things have been spot on. They've been challenging to, to everybody in a very good way. Uh, but Jesse and, and his wife have made a move, and um, as he posted on the board, they are off to new adventures in New York, and Jesse's off to new adventures, and – uh, Jesse, I just wanted to say publicly on the podcast, um, thank you for everything that you've done. Uh, thank you for making the, the VolQuest family a better family, a, a closer-knit group. We've all gotten along so well and worked so well together. It's been a blast. And um, you have no idea how much you're going to be missed, not just from your production in terms of writing and insight, but just from um, just from hanging out and visiting and road trips and and talking and, and, and all kinds of, you know, things like that from a friendship standpoint. We'll remain friends, but obviously we're going to miss you in Knoxville. We're going to miss you every day. And just wanted to publicly say thank you for everything you've done for the site. A little I, bit of a Tennessee homer, though. A little I, bit of a Tennessee homer. <laughs> I appreciate that, Hubs. I appreciate it. It, it, was, it was, was fun three seasons. AP and I, AP found me sitting on the airport bench when we were covering recruiting and and, and – kind of blossom from there and and a lot of good memories a lot of funny stories a ap can probably tell bust my balls for days about silly stuff just like i kind of hit him back but it, it's been good and and you know i put this in my post uh you know 
sometimes change is good. So this, the site will continue to grow. I think we've seen it in the three seasons that I've been here. I've seen, you know, part of the reason I was excited from the, from the standpoint when AP approached me and then Hubs and I had the, the long conversation about joining Vault West just because Vault West is kind of the foothold in the market. And there was an opportunity to kind of continue to grow and make it better. I think in the last three years, we've seen this site, you know, really continue to take steps forward. And I think that's going to continue to be the case. I mean, the recruiting coverage is second to none. Rob's got the basketball beat down. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed we get football this fall and, and everybody can keep screaming at each other on the GQ. <laughs> well, again, you're right. The site's better and the site's better because of uh, the insight and, and, and what you brought to the table. So uh, best Hold of on. luck. To Wait Hold a on. Okay. We're, not, we're not letting me get out the door without All right. saying something, Hubs. Go ahead, AP. All right, well, I'll start with the jokes and then end serious. So, before we get out the door, we're going to do top three, General's Quarters Meltdown under the Jesse Simonson <laughs> era. Number three, any political post on Twitter. Number two, uh, Tennessee lost all, uh, got turned down by all the quarterbacks, only to land Caden Salter. And number one, the one that started them all, damn, Tua. <laughs> I think I could have named, like, 20 more than the Caden Salter one. That, but that, that yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, I just made that up seven seconds ago. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, in, in all seriousness, and in, in all the, the, the gnashing of teeth on the board from time to time, they don't really know Jesse. And they don't know that, you know, Jesse does nothing intentional. And uh, Jesse just, you know, tells it the way he sees it. You may not agree with it, but he, he doesn't do anything to get a rise out of anybody. And so if anybody on the staff was to do something to get a rise out of people, it would be me. And, uh, cause I, cause I enjoy a good troll, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, Jesse did a great job for us. I will miss him on the road uh, tremendously. Now I'm dragging hubs along every step of the way and, uh, you know, making him drive, making him drive, making him go to where I want to eat because I'm such a picky eater and he's having to endure my snoring. So, um, you know, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll miss you. And if you ever get back in this way, uh, you know, if you're, if you don't like Jesse too bad, we would love to have Jesse back at VolQuest if, 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 if that ever presented itself. There's always going to be a seat at the Thank table. You boys. Always going to be a seat at the VolQuest table for Jesse Simonton for a visit. But obviously if he wants to come back and ever comes back this way to be a part of the family, um, with open arms, uh, he would be back as a part of the family. Jesse, we appreciate you, man. Best of luck in New York. Stay safe. God bless. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking some, fo some football with everybody real soon. Same to you all. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Keep killing it. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control.